What's up, Hogland Nation? You know we gotta tell you about Mr. T's Tuxedos. Do you or someone you know have a wedding, formal, prom, or big event coming up soon? Well, lucky for you, we have you covered. Mr. T's Tuxedos has the best suits and tuxedos in the area, and will have you looking your best for your big day. With their main store located in Minersville, PA, they also offer fitting services located in Center City, Philly, as well as on-site fittings at your preferred location. Make sure to mention that Hogline sent you when you visit in-store or reach out with an inquiry. To take a look at their catalog and for more information on all that Mr. T's Tuxedos has to offer, visit MrT'sTux.com. That's M-R-T-S-T-U-X.com. And remember, you only have one shot at looking your best. Be sure to take it with Mr. T's Tuxedos. What's going on, Hogline Nation? Welcome back to the Hogline Podcast. I'm your host, Mitchell Manis, alongside my co-hosts, Jack Manis and Andrew Schreffler. Welcome back, Hogline Nation. You are listening to the 255th episode of the podcast. Um, Week six in the books. Feels like it just flew by. I mean, I don't like how we're already into week seven. That's approaching the midway point of the season. Um. How are you guys feeling tonight? We're we're a third of the way done. Six weeks out of eighteen. That's true. Third like is a four, a fourth ish if you count the playoffs. Okay, that makes me feel better. Thank you for breaking it down that way. We sit here on a Tuesday. We do a nice crisp fall evening, mm-hmm. uh, and Shref had two days to detox from. The Eagles' first loss of the season, they fall to the Jets. It wasn't enough time. Two days wasn't enough time. I'm not detoxed yet. Well, despite you not being uh, cleansed from that loss, I hope you can pull together some words for us today uh, in the Eagles' rant of the week. So go ahead. I've been looking forward to this. Yeah. Uh, the segment name is finally back. Like We're, we're here. Uh, it took. I was trying to think, like, I guess the Washington game last year um, is probably the most, like, is, like, the craziest I got. But even that one, like, it took a lot of, like, crazy plays and, like, stuff like that to kind of lead to that. Um, so it, it, it's been a while, but we are we are very much here. Um, I, I wanted it to kind of be a little bit off the top just because I know that'll be a little more, you know, I might get a little more animated about it. So I, I just wrote some some bullet points to go off of, and then we'll go from there. But, um. Like, I'll start by saying if you would have told me, like, going into this year with the schedule we were looking at, if you would have said five and one going into this Miami game, I would have been like, I'll sign up for that 10 times out of 10, like, feeling great, let's do it. Um, then if you were to describe to me the way that it's transpired to this point, I, I wouldn't sign up for that. Uh, this this was a situation where I think they they were, like, beginning of the year through these weeks, I've looked at their previous wins as like, oh, this is like a this is like a seasoned team that like, I think I said it last week like that knows how to finish games. Uh, so I'm eating those words right off the bat. Like, it, it felt like a team that like didn't have their A game pretty much the entire year, but would like kind of figure out how to get it done in the crunch time. 
Uh, this was the exact opposite, and it's kind of making me feel the exact. It's it's made me question like, what's the actual skill level of this team? It, that there's been a lot of questions uh, running through the brain the last couple days here. Um, this was as big of like this was just a all around failure of a game um, from a lot of aspects. So we'll, we'll run through the bullet points here. I'll start with Hertz. Um, I think it's the only logical place to start. Uh, at like halftime of this game, I thought I was going to be coming into this conversation uh, tonight, like being able to rave about him and talking about how he like pretty much willed this offense to like score. And that was the case uh, for a good portion of the game. Um, like just making unreal plays out of the pocket. Uh, I'll get to talking about the pocket here at a later time. Um like, was making the plays he had to make, like, did not have much time to throw, was hitting all the throws, like, making some, like, he had one where a guy was literally on his arm, threw it with the, threw it, like, perfect accuracy on the sideline. He was making plays. Second half started, and all that pretty much went out the window. Um, it felt like he was, he was forcing a lot, um, like, and it felt like he was getting himself into unnecessary situations a lot, especially towards the end. Um, just forcing plays that weren't there, like seeing things that weren't there. In terms of the three picks, the first one was just, I mean, Goddard caught it and then got knocked out of his hands, so I can't really blame Hertz for that one. Second one was uh, a little bit of both, where obviously the offensive line did not do their job. Hertz got hit. At the same time, it, in, even in the moment and like looking back on it, Hertz definitely held onto it for longer than he should have. Ball came out as he was throwing it, easy interception. Third one was just all hurts. Um, I don't know what he saw. It was double covered. I know, like, looking back, I don't think there was really anyone open, but that's a situation where, like, you have to know the situation. Like, that is a – you throw that ball away. It's not ideal that you have to stop the clock, obviously, but Jets have no timeouts. You're going to put them back not in, like, ideal field like field position. They're going to have to go a length of the way with Zach Wilson. Like, it – just a baffling decision by him. Uh, and kind of this, actually, I almost forgot. Um, I made sure I had to write this stat down because I was doing a little bit of research. But um, let me look at it again. I believe last season on throws that were uh, 20 yards or more, turnover-worthy play percentage was 2.7%. Um, this season through six games, 17.6%. Uh, so, Yeah. Uh, so we can debate if it's like maybe Shane Steichen leaving is a problem, but at the same time, like even just watching it this year, like hurts, he's forcing a lot of balls and I don't know if it's like a too much trust in his receivers thing or what it is. Cause last year, like even like, I know Steichen was there and clearly opened up the play calling for him a lot, but he also just like was really good at keeping the ball out of harm's way. It felt like last year and it's been the exact opposite this year and it's put them in some awful positions in multiple games so far. Uh, this was the first time that it really had like severe consequences. Um, so that's about it on him. Like he, I, I was really impressed with him in the first half, and then he, like, just completely crumbled at the end. And I'm hoping that he said in his interview afterwards, that it's obviously like it's the classic, you know, player talk of like we'll learn from it, we'll grow from it. I hope that that's actually the case because this has kind of been the case for a couple weeks, like pretty much most of the season here, and this is the first time that he's actually had to like really face a consequence of it with a loss. So that's it on him. Uh, I'll go to the offensive line now. Uh, first drive, they were moving the ball at will. Uh, felt like exactly what I was kind of expecting to see. 
Lane Johnson gets hurt and everything just fell apart like instantly. Um, the first thing I, I was talking about, even in the moment, was like, uh, I love Howie Roseman. I love the way that he's built his teams. I know you guys as Steelers fans are maybe going to kind of start to see kind of what that looks like as the guys that you got, that one of the guys you have there now is kind of a direct disciple of this. Um, but as good as he is at building a line, it's baffling to me that we don't have someone to replace. Like, obviously you can't do what Lane Johnson does. Uh, that's going to be almost impossible to find for like probably a long time. Like he is an enigma, but like, I mean, Jack Driscoll was out there and it was like, it was embarrassing to watch. Like it was the entire rest of the game just getting beat. Uh, like I said, I know Hertz made some unforced decisions in terms of like scrambling when he maybe didn't need to, but there was also a lot of situations where he dropped back and before he could even get to like his second read, there was a guy in his face. So it like as soon as one guy went down, it like all went it, it all went bad, and it was baffling to me. And then Sirianni afterwards said like we have a lot of faith in Driscoll at right tackle. It's like I <laughs> I don't know, man. Like it looked really it looked really really bad. Uh, so yeah, it was more just it was more just puzzling to me more than anything. Like I know there's a lot of stat. I I think their record without Lean is like it's like twelve and twenty two or something ridiculous. So while one it shows how good Lane's been, it's also pretty crazy to me that like for a guy that as much as I love him, like he's never been like the healthiest guy. Like even when he does play, it feels like he's playing like with an injury a lot of the time. It's crazy to me that in all these years they haven't like found at least a serviceable backup to get in there when he's out. Um, so that was another thought. The whole offense by the end of the night was just a mess. Like Devonte Smith was dropping balls. Uh, so, like there's a lot of ball security issues. There were like fumbles and just a lot of weird things. They're just not, not winning football. I'll just say that. Um, next bullet point, uh, just defensive injuries in general. It felt like they lost like their entire team. Uh, some of the injuries weren't turf related, but this turf just keeps claiming like more and more guys. Uh, Eli Ricks went out. Reed Blankenship got nailed in the ribs. That's not a turf injury, but just got blasted in the ribs. He's out again after like just coming back. Um, still waiting on Sidney Brown to come back. He hasn't been back yet. I'm trying to think who else. There was someone else. There had to be someone else. Um, oh, uh, what's his name? Uh, Bradley Roby. He also got hurt, and he's. I think they just put him on IR. Um, so yeah, a lot of injuries, just not good for a team that like going into the year, we felt confident about the offense and the defense was going to have to kind of make up for, you know, when they're not at their best. I thought they played well as a whole in this game, but these injuries are starting to pile up and I'm getting a little nervous about it. So it'll be a, it'll be a true test of how deep this defense is going to be. And then finally, before I turn to review guys, I, I'm going to rant about Sirianni a little bit. <laughs> Please do. Uh, yeah. I like. I'm not even going to talk about Brian Johnson. It, like he, there were some questionable play calls here and there, but there's certain situations that I'm going to blame on a head coach, and that this is one that I feel like is necessary. And this is also just going to tail off into how I feel about him. Um, the last drive, the the interception drive with Hurts. Obviously, that throw cannot happen. No chance. Can't do it under any circumstances. They, the Jets had no timeouts, and they ran it on first and second down, which to me showed like we, we know the situation. They have no timeouts. We're going to bleed this clock as much as we can. And we're either going to get a first on it 
or if we don't, we're going to give them the ball probably deeper in their territory with not enough time on the clock for them to, with Zach Wilson, to go the whole way down the field. They go first and second, and then third down. It's been talked about where it was a group decision between Sirianni, Hertz, and Brian Johnson. Um, so obviously all three of them deserve blame for this, but at the end of the day, Sirianni's the head coach, and I would like him to... I, you got to lead from the front and just know better. Like I, if you're going to run it on first and second, you got to run it on third there. Like doing all that just to then throw the ball, and obviously you threw the interception, but even risk just an incompletion where you're stopping the clock. Like to me, it felt like it defeated the entire purpose of what they were trying to do with that drive at first. So that baffled me. And then this is just more of a personal thing for me, and I feel like like you guys have talked about it, and I've been trying to find the right words for how I feel about it, and I think I found it where the. Um, post game, apparently the players are the ones that stood up and like talked to the locker room, like obviously the whole like kind of look in the mirror sort of thing. Um, on one hand, I love that because I obviously you want your own players to be the ones that are taking accountability and standing up for that kind of stuff. At the same time, like I, I feel like after all these wins, you would want the head coach to be up there after a loss, um, at least like kind of showing some sort of like leadership of any sort. Um, and that's kind of what like led me to what I've been thinking with Sirianni is like, he's, I mean, we haven't seen them lose many games and that's why it's been hard to like argue with him as a head coach where it's like the record speaks for itself to an extent, but in these losses, man, it feels like he just kind of goes quiet and he doesn't bring that same energy that he brings during the wins. And I also feel like he's starting to come off as a guy to me. That's almost too, like too buddy, buddy to an extent with the players or to a point where it almost doesn't like quite feel like a coach player relationship. I know there was like videos and reports of him like yelling at the guys in practice and stuff like that. And that's fine and all, but just in terms of the way that this locker room seems to run, I know to on one end, it can be good when the players are the ones that are like kind of leading and like leading by example, but it, it feels like his voice doesn't carry as much weight as it should as a head coach of a top football team like this. Um, so, I mean, that's kind of my whole thoughts. I tried to stay like it. I kept it calm on the outside here, but like it, it's been. I, I'm not having fun because it, it. I'm second guessing a lot of things about this team. So, I don't know if you guys have questions, but I'm sure you do. Yeah, I'll start with some comments. So, you mentioned about Sirianni. It's it's very important to not get too high over wins and not get too low during losses and being consistent, being consistent presence. Yep. Um, and yes, you said a lot of what you, what you just brought up is kind of speculation. Um, because we're not in the locker room. We don't fully know the impact and the weight of his words, but if what you said is true, yeah, that's, that's not, uh, that's not necessarily a good sign. Uh, you, you want to obviously be respectful of these, these men because they're professionals and whatnot, but at the same time you have to you're an authoritative figure over them and in a position of leadership. So you want to express that and not, um, yeah, you'd be buddy, buddy. Sometimes you have to have difficult, difficult conversations and he really, he didn't speak to the media. He you did. said he did. Um, no. So, so after the game in the locker room, um, it got reported like instantly that like the players were the first ones that like. Yeah, it was like a players only meeting, like a. It was like a players only meeting, but like apparently it was like before Sirianni like got in, and then like it was just a weird. I don't know. 
Um, okay. But then, yeah, but then, I, I actually misunderstood what you said, but yeah, but but then even in the post game, he was given very nonchalant answers to a lot of things. Like we got to look at the film and all that type of stuff. But even on top of that, because I, I just thought about this too, like I know, like there's been a lot of like on field, like screaming at each other between these guys, and like obviously you want to see like the competitive side and that's what they keep saying in these interviews afterwards. But I also like to a point kind of do look back to Sirianni on that one where it's like, I understand you want these guys to like show their emotions and like be who they are. And to an extent, I like that. But at some point it's like, man, it feels like every game, like AJ Brown's like screaming on the sidelines or like even like Kelsey was getting like, I don't know. It, 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 it just, it feels it's start. It's feeling like a much more of a players led locker room than a, coaching led locker room uh yeah yeah sorry to cut you off jack you can go ahead in a second but i yeah. uh yeah you, you didn't see that quite as much last year i don't no, remember that really didn't. being a thing and i know it was going better last year but like you got to be able to like this is this is the way like the game works like you're gonna go through like rough patches so it, like i don't know it's just like while I like the competitive nature of it, it feels like a weird way to be responding to bad play, like outwardly on the field there. My thoughts on the whole player-only meeting type thing, um, I, I guess, like, I mean, the Eagles, they have such strong leaders in Jason Kelsey and Jalen Hurts, I guess you'd say, or, like, they're two main guys. Um, and that's, like, quite the tandem of, of leaders that you want in your locker room. So... And again, they know far more than I do about leading a a group of like an NFL team. But like, don't isn't this kind of this seems? My initial reaction was like, okay, that's cool, good for them, they're good leaders. But then taking a step back, thinking about it, like, are we overreacting? This is one. This is a five and one team. I still think they're definitively the second best team in football. Um, statistically, that backs it up too. Is that one bad loss? Like, if they're acting this way after one loss, what happens if they lose next week or they lose into like if they have another loss? Like, the, the, having this type of reaction, like that, that feels like something you do when you when you're like five and four and like your season could go one way or another and you want to look yourself in the mirror type thing. Like, you're still a, such a good football team, and this is just one loss. Like, I, I think. I mean, maybe this makes the Eagles so great they take losses so like so heavily, but I don't know. I, I think it speaks to uh, like consistency of like you gotta be. Middle Mitchell said you can't get too high, can't get too low, and that's. I mean, I think it, you brought up the thing about Sirianni post game and how you in in a couple losses prior as well. Like you don't love how he handles losses and. I don't really want to compare Tomlin to him because Sirianna's had a lot more success than Tomlin has in the past couple of years. But Mike Tomlin, he's the exact same guy. Like it, he's such this—he's so steady. He's the same demeanor, same stupid phrases, and like the same jargon. Everything. He's the same guy, win or loss. Yes, that's why he's stuck around for near, nearly twenty years now. Um, so I don't know. It's just different, interesting. Uh, to view on two different type of philosophies of like how to run your organization and team. Yeah. I think that like, I think that's part of why I'm, why I've gotten so like, just like 
just like such like a bad feeling is like the guys on the field aren't giving me like a calming feeling about this like they're it's it feels like they're freaking out just as much as i am which probably isn't a good thing um yeah yeah i don't know it, it's always been it, that's been the thing with sirianni is like it, there's been such a small sample size of what happens during these losses but then even like i mean we can even go back to the super bowl game like when hurts had to like calm him down on the sideline like he can't like he just can't be doing yeah that. right yeah yeah that's a good point it, it just, uh, i don't know it's, it's all carried over to like this point and i think like I think it was just the situation of it all that made it so like magnified is like the Jets were missing like the Sauce Gardner didn't play, Elijah yep. Tucker didn't play. Like it felt like such a good opportunity for them like the Jets are I will I I didn't know if I mentioned this like the Jets played fantastic defensively. Like, they are a really good defensive football team which is I expected coming into the year but they especially proved it. But even with that being said with all those injuries it it, it felt like this was like the ultimate like get right game situation. Like this defensive line against a beat up offensive yeah. line with, with Zach Wilson at quarterback, like all the it felt like everything was aligning to where it was going to work, and it it just fell flat on its face. So I, I I think that's where it's coming from. But obviously at the end of the day, I'm still trying to like they could go in and beat the Dolphins next week, and I might be fully back. Like I don't know. I, right. I just feel very lost right now. I don't know what to think. And I'm, I don't. I I think I think you're a little bit too down on this Eagles team. Like they. They're, as I said, they're, they're still definitively in my eyes, and I think in many others, like the second best team in football. So they, I think maybe to you, they look, you're disappointed in how they look so far this year because of how dominant they were, like all of last year, pretty much. Like maybe they're not that team as they were last year, but they're still a really good team, and like that's okay. That can still compete for a Super Bowl. So, uh, they've probably taken a, a step back, but they're still really, really good. And like thirty other teams would would rather be in their position right now. So I think you got to keep that in mind. It's fair. I also do take solace in the fact that the Niners lost like pretty much the exact same game that the Eagles yeah, lost. Right. <laughs> like really good defense, uh, backup quarterback, and like not the quarterback it was supposed to be in the game. Um. And just got beat, so I guess that does make me feel better. And like I guess, like at right. the end of the day, I'm trying to keep a level head. Like for me, finishing the game, obviously the, the end of the hurt with the way Hurts played was not pretty. But my my biggest takeaway was a lot about Nick Sirianni, which is why I saved him for the end. So that's not exactly a team argument; it's more of a guy at the helm argument. But that was that was the main takeaway for me. One more comment, one more question for me, uh, just. Jalen Hurts's, I guess, regression from last year. I just want to read a couple stats. His touchdown percentage decreased from 4.8 to 3.3%. He already has more interceptions this year than he did all of last season through six games. His yards per attempt went down almost a full yard. His yards per completion went down 1.2 yards. Quarterback rate decreased so far by 17 percentage points, and QBRs decreased by 9 percentage points. Um, so he needs to play better. He has six interceptions in the last four games. That's not going to get it done. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of just my quick spiel on that. And also my final question here in the Eagles next eight games, as you know, the schedule home against Miami at Washington versus Dallas at Kansas city versus Buffalo versus San Francisco at Dallas at Seattle. That's eight games there. What would you 
what do you think they're going to go in those eight games? And what would you be content with in those eight games? Um, I would be, I would be content with four and four. I'd be content with 500 there. Cause that, cause, cause that sits them at what's that nine and five. Then? Yeah. Yes. I'd be okay with nine and five. Um, and then in terms of what I think they'll go, see, this is what I mean when I said at the beginning that like, if you told me they were five and one, I'd be like, perfect. But if you showed me how they got there, I'd be like, I don't know. Um, I still, I, I honestly think they'll go four and four. I think they'll find a way to split. Like I, I do still believe in this team and I believe in the players. It's been a really disappointing last couple of days, just thinking about what's been going on here. But I do trust that this team is going to rebound. So I, I, I think four and four is a fair assessment. Because I mean, the, this is legit like a gauntlet of the best teams in football, pretty much. So like splitting with the best teams in football feels like a good sign for a team that wants to be competing. Yeah, I really don't know how you can make this next eight games harder. Uh, uh, like the, it's it's, the, as, it's as bad as it gets. The easiest game is a road divisional game against the team they barely beat in overtime. Yep. So. Yeah. It will certainly be interesting to see if uh, we get more of these type of rants from Shref or if it will, the, the ship will be righted. I'm teetering right now. I... <laughs> All right, so there's no Steeler game this week. We had a bye. Uh, we'll be back at uh, Los Angeles at 425 this Sunday against the Rams. So stay tuned for that. We'll see if our tune gets a little bit more optimistic. Uh, so big game. As, always, uh, as they always are for the Steelers. I feel like every week feels like a must-win game. Our third segment here today, something that Jack came up with, uh, we, have, we have our all-surprise team through th- for the first six weeks of the season. We split up these positions. We, we compiled a, a lineup of all the starting positions, uh, quarterback, running back, receiver, so on and so forth. And we split them up on who we... We chose here, Jack, I think it's eight positions, and Shref and I have seven, or I could have got that mixed up there. But anyway, these are players that have surprised us the most throughout the first six weeks, and we will start with quarterback, which I believe was Jack, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. But, and this is, I don't think you said it, surprises in a good way. Yes, yeah, this, uh, not players that are underperforming, but are... Yeah, exceeding um, expectation so correct. far through six weeks. Yes. Uh, all right, so the quarterback I settled on, so I'm between two, but I think CJ Stroud is the pick. Um, I like that. I mean, he was the second overall pick, but he had a pretty bad preseason, and... The uh, Texans were just a horrible situation to land in, what most viewed as, me included, you guys included, I think, as well. Uh, like, receivers not good, O-line not good, like, such a rebuilding team. Uh, but he's played fantastic. He currently is on pace for 4,700 yards and 26 touchdowns, only one pick so far. Um Fourth in passing yards. He's eighth in passer rating. Um, he has a QBR of 55.5, which is right around the guise of 
above Trevor, right below Lamar and Kirk Cousins. Um, another interesting tidbit of his six-year or six-game career thus far. Uh, it got off to a, a bad start in the sack department. He allowed he allowed he's not the alignment, but he took eleven sacks through two weeks. His first two weeks, I think it was six and five, or other way five and six. Uh, so it was looking rough, but since then he's only taken two sacks over the past four weeks, which is kind of crazy because the O line has had so many injuries since then. And I mean, I guess it's gotta maybe these backups were good, but I feel like it's just that speaks to more of Stroud's uh, development, I guess. I don't know, or just potential as a pro or talent. So. I think he's the biggest surprise um, at quarterback. Other guy I was kind of considering is Baker Mayfield, which would be big of me because I hate Baker, but he's played great uh, in a situation where like people thought he could have been benched or not even get the starting job, honestly, out of camp. But do you guys um, agree on Stroud? Any other quarterbacks come to mind that could fight for that spot? I like the Stroud pack. Um, that that probably would have been my choice too. I was trying to think if I would have put anyone else. Like, just in terms of like what we expected versus what we've seen, I think like Do- like Dobbs could could have had an argument, maybe. Yeah, maybe. Like, but but that that one's kind of like that one's a cheaper one. Like Stroud, in terms of like what we saw in preseason, like he he's the clear choice. Yeah. Yeah, I'm just scrolling through the teams here, just um, just in case I'm forgetting anyone. I don't think I don't think so. I, I think CJ Stroud's definitely the pick, especially because I had very low expectations of him, as you mentioned in the beginning of your spiel. There, I mean, maybe Tua, just because yeah, we all thought it'd be good, but MVP level. Yeah, MVP oh, favorite uh, through the first six weeks, but you know what? I mean, besides this last week, Purdy. Yeah. I think True. Like, like, I, know, I know he's in the best position possible, but he's like, yeah, I guess he's doing it. He's doing it very on a very high level outside of this Browns game. Oh, no, I think we're just me- we're mentioning honorable mention because CJ Stroud would have been my pick as well. 100 percent. All right. So I have the running back here and. Any guesses before I reveal who it is? I, I think it's a clear I think it's a clear answer. I thought of this guy right away. There's no question about it. Um, I'm sorry, you said running back, right? Yes. The first guy A-chan? that is either A-Chain or Kyron Williams. Or Mostert, honestly. It's Raheem Mostert. Okay. Ooh, I like that. If someone, would, if someone would have told me that Raheem Mostert would have 11 total touchdowns in the first six games of the season, I would have thought that they have not watched a down of football and they just picked a random name out of the running back hat. I mean, he's 31 years old, which is ancient in running back years. I was completely off of him in fantasy. I remember sitting at our redraft league with Charlie and Charlie picked him and I didn't say anything to him because obviously, obviously he's my 12 year old little brother. I'm not going to like completely like, you know, crap on his picks, but in my head, I'm like, wow, that was a complete waste of a pick. And I couldn't have been any more wrong. And it makes sense because I played Charlie this week and Mostert put up whatever it was, 32 half PPR points. So I thought I think I would have thought what he's doing right now is impossible to do. And he's just absolutely eating. He looks like the best running back in football. He's still fast at his at 31. I mean, 
I think he's 31. the clear wow. choice. And yeah, if it wouldn't be for him, I would have picked Devin A. Chain, but he's only played three games and he's on IR now. But uh, but yeah, they're just absolutely lighting it up, and I just I can't even believe what I'm seeing. But also, I can believe it at the same time because of McDaniel and just everything that he's doing over there. So Raheem Mostert is the clear pick in my mind. Kyron Williams for sure. I mean, I didn't have any expectations out of him. He hasn't had been like super efficient though. Mostert has been good. Mostert has been good on all levels. So I thought he was the clear choice. Yeah, fair. All right, so three wide receivers. Shref, uh took care of all of them for us. So what do you have at the receiver position? Yeah, the, the first two were easy for me, and then the third one I was debating between like two or three guys. First one I feel well, like... Well, yeah, one of them's, yeah, one of them's a no-brainer. Yeah, so so I'll, I'll go with Puka first. Um, I mean, like, I feel like when the draft happened, like, I, I, I knew the name just because I'm... Uh, freak who likes to research like all the way through with these guys um and the joke like on twitter was like oh like like even going into the draft was like oh you know mcveigh's gonna want like this is like this is like cooper cup jr like mcveigh's gonna want this guy then the rams actually went out and got him and then cooper cup didn't start the year so then pukinakoa literally like (laughs) just became cooper cup he's unreal he's one of 14 receivers with 50 plus targets the other guys on that list are like as good as they get, all wide receiver ones. Fourth in yards. Uh, I think he's 13th in PFF for just receiver rankings overall. Like, just took over the cup role in his absence, like, perfectly. Stafford's been great this year, and he's been finding him. It's clear that the Rams already trust him, like, as much as anyone with how much work they were giving him. And then even with cup back, like, uh, the Eagles game, he was still seeing, I think he caught, like, seven or eight balls still. Like, he's he's legit, like, I... When he first started the year, it was like, oh, he's just taking cup spot. It's become obvious, like, he didn't put up crazy stats, but I think he dropped a touchdown this past week. Um, so, like, he's not just, like, the Cooper Cup fill, and, like, this is their this is their wide receiver, too, with Cooper Cup, and he's been awesome this year. That, that would be my first one. I'm assuming there's no arguments with that. Oh, yeah, definitely not. Uh, second one, I'm going to tail off a of jack with C.J. Stroud. I'm going to go Nico Collins for number two. Um... I've been a uh, he's like been one of like I've, as fantasy guys we all know there's always those guys that like year after year you're like it's time like it, it has to be time um in the dynasty league that I'm in with Jack I have him I've been very grateful to have him now um but even in redraft year this was the year that I was like uh rookie quarterback like I don't know I like I, I don't know if it's worth the pick didn't pick him I've I've regretted it every day since He's he's the guy there. He's uh, sixth in PFF, uh, just wide receiver rankings. 11 force missed tackles, which is first. Uh, fourth in yards per route, which is uh, behind Tyree, Cooper Cup, and Brandon Ayuk. Uh, eighth in yards, just as a whole. And then he's tied with Debo for most yards after catch uh, per reception. And that's like over expectation. So him and Debo, like, I mean, we think of Debo as like this breaking like a million tackles guy. Like Nico Collins is doing that somewhat on his level this year. Um, so, like, he's a legit number one. I think he's, what, like 24 right now? 23, 24 years old, something like that. Um, like, it seems like, I mean, obviously it's early, and we know that was Stroud too, but, like, this seems like this could be a legit, like, QB wide receiver duo, um, like, for a while. So I've, I've been really impressed and, like, just happy that he's broken out just because I was a fan of him even from the beginning. So... 
Any arguments there? No. No, he's been really good. We saw it up close and personal when uh, he torched the Steelers, had probably his best game as a pro uh, two weeks ago when he played us. So very good. And yeah, someone I wasn't expecting anything really from in in his third year. I bet that definitely felt good to have some validity uh, behind your, your conviction of him. It does feel good. And I'm glad I have him in the dynasty league. I'm obviously upset that I didn't take him in the, in the redraft leagues that I'm in, but having him in a dynasty where I can, I, I can watch him blossom before my eyes is, is real nice. Of course. Yeah. Uh, third one, I was between a few guys, so I'll, I'll leave it up to you guys to give some possible honorable mentions as well. I'm going Rashid Shahid for this one for my third guy. Mm. Uh, the one thing that like jumped out to me just in terms of like, we were talking about guys that we've been like pleasantly surprised by. He had 34 targets uh, all of last year. He has 27 already this year. Um, and he is fifth in yards per catch. Uh, it feels like the Saints offense has kind of taken a little bit to get going. But so far from what we've seen, like Chris Olave is clearly like the guy. Um, completely understandable. He's been awesome this year. Also could have been maybe a potential for this one. But like I kind of like, I don't know, with his talent, I kind of expected it. Um, but it seems like they have like a legit, like a legit, like, deep play like explosive play guy now fifth in yards per catch like they are they're using him as like their deep threat guy michael thomas is getting a little bit up there in age uh, he's clearly being used as more of like their short route guy and even though i haven't been too impressed with Derek carr like their receiving core if it like it seemed i mean she eats 25 right now um so if they found a legit like deep play guy that's huge for this offense going forward so that was my third one. Um, the only the other guy I was debating between was Josh Reynolds um, from the Lions. Feels like he stepped into a really nice like number two role so far this year. One that I didn't know if the line like especially with Jamison Williams being out, he's back now, which is nice. But Reynolds seems like a legit like reliable number two. So that was my honorable mention. I don't know if you guys have any other ones though. Uh, I mean, some guy, the person I would have picked was clearly Adam Thielen. Ooh, I like Thielen there. That's not bad. I mean, Adam Thielen's third in the league in catches. He's 10th in receiving yards, tied for fourth in receiving touchdowns. And he's just been unreal. Yeah, I think... Like, there's no... like I, did, I thought like he's, he's completely washed. And, he, and even in an offense that, looks, that has looked awful for most, he's been like the lone bright spot. And just, I, couldn't, I can't believe what I'm seeing out of him. Yeah, that, that's a good one. I, I guess my only... like. The surprise is just because how good he's playing at his age. I the situation actually does kind of work out nicely for him, where he's clearly like the veteran guy for a rookie quarterback who is looking for like security out there, like guys that he knows he can throw the ball to and like know that they're going to be in the right spots and everything. So I he's kind of fallen into a good spot there for his own personal stuff. Like I know as a team, he's probably not thrilled that he's on this team currently, but yeah, that, that's another very good one. Maybe I, I might not have considered him as heavily as I should have. All right, so I have the tight end here. Um, and I think it's a pretty obvious choice. Well, there was one guy I was considering in addition to who I actually picked, but my tight end is Sam Laporta. Uh, we have a lot of rookies here on this, mm-hmm. um, on this list so far. What do we have? We have Stroud, Laporta, and uh, Puka, Puka, right? Yeah. So... I mean, it's not a surprise, in my opinion, that he's panned out. I just think it's surprising how quickly he has, mm-hmm. just because the usual slow development of rookie tight ends. He's currently the tight end two in fantasy, and his 17-game pace is 82 catches, 
921 yards and nine touchdowns. Um, if you're curious where that would rank amongst rookie tight end seasons, that would be the most receptions ever, 82. Uh, third most yards for a rookie ever. I think Mike Ditka and Kyle Pitts only have more. They they reached the 1,000-yard mark. And that'd be the tied for third most touchdowns ever by a rookie tight end. So parlaying all those three metrics combined, I think that would probably be the best rookie tight end season ever uh, if, if he were to hit that pace that he's currently on. And he's been a very strong complement to Amon Ra. And uh, who knows how Jamison Williams will fit into the mix now that he's back. I know he got a touchdown last week, but Laporta sh- still should be that safe security blanket over the middle of the field, similar to Amon Ra for Goff, and this Lions offense should continue to hum. So Sam Laporta, he's been great. He's so far broken the mold of uh, slow-developing rookie tight ends. Yeah, he's awesome. He was a guy the only other, coming out. He, he's great. Only other name I was considering was John U. Smith, just because he's been uh, pretty productive. Everyone was hoping for the Kyle Pitts breakout, but John U. Smith. Uh, Arthur Smith. Pretty much. John Smith. <laughs> yeah. Going back to their days in Tennessee. So he was another name I was considering, a uh, member of my dynasty team, but I got to give it to Laporta. He's just been. You know, he's been a top five tight end, regardless of his, you know, rookie status. So that's the Porta. I think for the offensive line here, we'll go inside uh, to out. So I'll start with my center and then we'll go Jack with the guard, Streff with the tackles. Uh, I have Jarrett Patterson, another rookie, uh, oddly enough, at Notre Dame. Center for the Texans. He he started the season as the backup to Juice Scruggs uh, and he got hurt. So, and Scruggs was the worst rated PFF center uh, to start the season. So he started the season as the backup to the worst rated PFF starting center. And he stepped in. I think he's played about four games. He started. He's not allowed a sack and he only has one penalty called against him. I think he has played over 400 snaps. So I think his PFF grade now is like middle of the pack with centers. But for a rookie that's thrust into a, makeshift offensive line that's been un- unbelievable in protecting CJ Stroud over the past month. Um, I think that's a very nice surprise and I'm sure they weren't expecting. I mean, you know, if you draft them, you're expecting something, but certainly not being a, a, a starter for uh, the first half of the season. So I think Jared Patterson is a good pick uh, for a good surprise here. Yeah, he was a really late pick. He was yeah. a six-round yeah. pick this year, yeah. Mm-hmm. Right, so to get quality offensive line play from your center as a rookie sixth-round pick, you know, can't be mad at that at all. Jack, who are your two guards? Uh, yeah, this was tough. <laughs> yeah, tough clearly. To find, I, mean, I told Mitchell yeah. this earlier, like, it was tough to find my most surprising guards through six weeks, two of them at that. First one was very easy. Uh... And it's someone that me and Mitchell know very well. Um, Mitchell, do you know that Kevin Dotson is quite literally the best offensive guard in football through six weeks? <laughs> yeah. PFF has him ranked as the best offensive guard and the fourth best offensive lineman in general. Um, it doesn't make sense. It kind of does. And I was talking to Temp uh, about this. I'm going to send you guys these two clips I found on Twitter. Like you can just search on Twitter and then like they come right up. Like just search Kevin Dotson. 
and it's not just this past week he had a great game. Like he's been, just, he just dominates guys in pass pro and in run blocking. It seems. Um, it, it's it's surprising because of how bad he was in the Steelers last year. Uh, we know too well, and um, but it it I guess it like hard like diehard Steelers fans maybe shouldn't be too surprised. Like in 2020, he was a rookie. Uh, we took him in the fourth round, I think fourth or fifth, fourth round, and he thrusted him into a starting role and played great in 2020. Uh, and then declined in 21, declined even more in 22. And he kind of, like, reports came out like he didn't really show up to camp in those two years, like, that well-conditioned, this year including, included. Um, and he looked, like, he just looked out of shape, and maybe he was a little lazy, lazy and got complacent. That's kind of speculation. Um, but then the Steelers suddenly or traded him I think it was like a late round pick swap or something. Oh, it was like nothing. I'm, I'm when it was. Was it like late August? Maybe I, I forget. Yeah, when it was him pretty. And the was pretty one happened. Pretty late into the off season. Yeah, and it was like a as little as it can be. So like we traded him away for that, and that could have been a bit of a wake up call for him, and then motivated him like in the past month to just become elite. And like I say, maybe it shouldn't be too surprising. Like he he played so well as a rookie. Like he he theoretically could have been on this trajectory this whole time. Just don't really know exactly what happened this past couple of years with the Steelers. But uh, I mean, he's played so good. And that, that we mentioned briefly how well Kyron Williams is is playing, which is kind of unexpected. And um, he could be a could say he's a significant factor in in that rushing success. So. Yeah, he he's definitely my the clear guard that's most surprised me. Um, my uh, other one was tough. <laughs> I uh, O line was hard. I know. I went with Ty or uh, Tyler Smith of the Cowboys. Ooh. No, I like that one. That's good. Um, if I'm remembering my timeline correct, he was a kind of a reach surprise first round pick by the Cowboys in 21. I think it was 22. 22. Right. It was 22. And then Tyron Smith gets hurt. Tyler Smith comes in last year and plays well. Um, and he still continued to play well this year. Uh, PFF had him graded out through five weeks as one of the best offensive guards in football um, at like an 84. And... Uh, Maybe a little surprising because, like, the offense in general's kind of been eh for the Cowboys. So, like, that's a a bright spot, and there are also top ten in rushing as a team. So you can that speaks to the I guess interior line success or the whole line, you could say. Uh, however, last night I was listening to the podcast recapping the game last night, and he did not play well last night. So it's kind of kind of got ruined a little bit after last night. But I mean, he's had a good first five weeks, I I think so. He's my second guard that's most surprised me. It's tough. I like it. No, th- those are definitely solid picks. Um, Shreff, who are your tackles? Yeah, tackles were hard. Um, like, just because, like, there, were, there wasn't, like, an easy one to pick out. Like, the top nine on PFF are actually top ten. 
Darisol, Mylotta, Trent Brown, Tristan Wirfs, Trent Williams, Brian O'Neill, Colton Miller, Panay Sewell, Lane Johnson, Bernard Raymond. Like these are all like yeah. those like, are all we, guys. We, yeah, like we, we understand. So uh I dug a little bit for the first one, I'm gonna do a guy that like he's not exactly grading out well on PFF, but just in terms of what I expected coming into this year versus how it's turned out, like very impressed. I'm gonna go Mackay Becton for my first offensive tackle. Um, it seemed like the Jets were like finding any reason to like try to not get him on the field, uh, just because he like didn't seem like he was like ready for it. I think he came in out of shape at one point. Like there was there was a lot of injuries. It was a lot of things going on with him. Um, he's got forced into playing left tackle this year with the Dwayne Brown injury very early on, um, and like week by week has just gotten better and better. I got to watch it up close against the Eagles. There's a video out there of him <laughs> shoving Derek Barnett to the ground, and as Barnett's getting up, he's pointing at him, uh, like laughing at him. So that it's a tough scene as an Eagles fan, but you know, game respects game. Um, but just like, I mean, it, it, it's a great sign for the Jets. Like he's only 24 still. Like they drafted him to be like what he currently is playing like now. But there was a while here where it seemed like he might be one of these guys that like just never gets a chance to really pan out. So I, I've been impressed with him so far. So that's my first one. Um, second one, I'm going rookie. I'm going Dewan Jones from the Browns. Um, like, and for me, this is a situation where, like, in terms of surprise, so he he's allowed nine total pressures in five games as a rookie. Pretty solid. Um, like he's he's six eight, three seventy five, and he got taken at pick one eleven. So clearly, this was thought of of like he was thought of as like a you know like insane frame, like crazy upside, but it's going to maybe take a while to like develop. Like how early would he have gone if teams were able to see what he's looked like the first six weeks? Like what, like how hot, like he, he's got to be a first rounder then, right? Because I think he's still like 20. I was like at least second. Yeah, maybe first, like already, like, yeah. Because he's like an absolute, like he's a behemoth of a man, like, but can move quick and is playing like this so far. So that's the surprise for me, not in a sense of like, I didn't think he could be this good, but like the fact that it's happened this quickly is like ridiculous. So those are my two, Mackay Becton, Dewan Jones. Yeah, so for Dewan Jones, it's pretty interesting. I think I saw that uh only allowing nine pressures in five games so far uh tweet earlier, I think it was today or yes yesterday. Uh and one of the replies was I didn't even know this, but and I'm sure this isn't the the reason why he went in the fourth round, but I think he maybe like there was like rumors he didn't love football that much and like yeah Thibodeau and many others but but the reply was funny it said he really told teams he likes to hoop sometimes and then and then he <laughs> yeah. fell to the fourth round That's what it seems like like I don't like he, he's six eight three seventy five like he, like that. and and he think about think, this I mean I don't know such a I don't know how much he's directly lined up against these pass rushers but he's faced he i mean Nick Bosa. he went up against bosa for a decent bosa tj watt and trey hendrickson yeah in the in three of his first five games so um again very impressive so that is our offense uh we have cj Stroud at quarterback we have raheem mostert at running back we have puka nakua rashid shaheed and the name who was the other one Nico i can't Collins remember Jordan? Oh, Nico Collins, and then, yes, those are the receivers. Sam Laporta at tight end. Jarrett Patterson at center. 
uh, Kevin Dotson at guard, Tyler Smith at guard, and we have Makai Becton and Dwan Jones on the bookends at the tackles. Moving on to defense here, I have the whole entire defensive line, uh, so I will just read that off, and then we will go from there. Uh, for I'll start with the D tackles. Uh, my first surprise is Justin Matabike of the Baltimore Ravens. Like Second in sacks for defensive tackles with four and a half, and he has five tackles for loss in the year. Um, and just as a name I wasn't really too familiar with prior to the season, but he is playing really well so far, and Baltimore is the 10th-ranked run defense, so I assume he has to be a big part of that. So that's my first surprise. And second one's Ed Oliver. Um, Ed Oliver in this offseason signed a four-year, $68 million contract extension. And when they paid him, I mean, I was just like, okay. I mean, he doesn't seem like he's, like, great. Like, I don't know if I'd pay him that amount of money, but he's really backed it up since he's gotten the bag. He uh, He's fourth in sacks in the league. Sorry. Fourth amongst sacks in the... Uh, I wrote this wrong. Among defensive tackles, he's fourth? Yes, that's what I meant. Yeah, I, I don't know why I wrote that there. But yeah, fourth amongst defensive tackles. He's second in the league regardless of position and tackles for loss with nine. Um, and he's really stepped up in the absence. Buffalo's had a lot of injuries. Matt Milano's out for the year. Tredavis White's out for the year. So there's a lot of holes. And if he continues to play this well, um, they're really going to need it. So I think Ed Oliver, good pick there, especially exceeding my expectations. Do you guys like those picks? I do. Yeah. Edge rushers. My two surprises, uh, Josh Allen, number one. As good as it gets right now. Yeah, I mean, not that we didn't think that he couldn't do this, but it's just nice to see him kind of put it together after kind of plateauing after a strong rookie season. Uh, he has seven sacks this year, and he's clearly been a major catalyst for a, for a Jags defense that they've allowed only 15.7 points per game in the past three games, and they're number one in the league in takeaways per game uh, throughout the whole entire season. So he has them playing really well, and uh, I just specifically remember that, that London, the first London game against the uh, Falcons. He was just absolutely dominant, and uh, yeah, he's been he's been really, really good. And he's on pace for what, like 17 sacks this year or something like that? So, yeah, just about. Not bad. Yeah. Uh, my, my other edge is Andrew Van Ginkle. Ooh, the Van Ginks. Four sacks this year, a 90.0 PFF grade. Uh, he's been a really great compliment to Jalen Phillips. And I found this interesting. He only had 11 sacks in the four seasons prior to this year. Because um, I kind of just you know, thought of him as that guy with the funny name, but he's actually been pretty good this year. So, uh, Andrew Van Ginkle, that's my, uh, second edge rusher. So our D line goes, Josh Allen, Andrew Van Ginkle, Justin Matabike, and Ed Oliver. I like it. Who has middle linebacker? I do. All right. Middle linebackers. Uh, my first one, I'm going to go Quincy Williams. Yeah. Up until this year, I feel like he's just the brother of Quentin Williams. Is it? Tw- I think they're twins. Uh, they're the same draft class. I assume they got to be twins then. 
They by were. the way, they're, they're, they're still brothers, by the way. You said up until now, he's only been his brothers. He still is. I said up until now, he's he's only been known as, I feel like, Quinn, Quinn Williams' brother. Right. Uh, very productive middle linebacker in that Jets defense, who's very good defense thus far. Uh, he's at 47 solo tackles, which is an, an on pace for 133. Um, the only players who have had more than 133 in a single season. Ray Lewis. 1997 and Patrick Willis 2007. So that's pretty elite company. Um, he also, I mean, he, he he's uh, stuffed the stat sheet, I feel like, for as much as the middle yeah. linebacker can thus far. He's had two sacks already, uh, six TFLs, five passes defended, a forced fumble, and a fumble recovery, um, which is, is impressive to have that, that, uh, productive of a stat line through the first six weeks being on the defense that has like a lot of playmakers on it so uh he's my first one um second i'm gonna go a middle linebacker of the indianapolis colts but not shaq leonard who we'd expect to lead the league in total tackles but it's zaire franklin drafted in the seventh round the same uh draft as shaq leonard but he's definitely the more productive one this year. Um, I was at the Jags Colts game yesterday or Sunday, and Jack Leonard wasn't like as noticeable as you'd expect. Uh, but Zaire Franklin, uh, yeah, he leads the league in total tackles at 77, paces out to 218, which would be the most in a single season by far. Uh, the most currently is Foye Luacon in 2021, he had 192. And then second all time is also Foya Luakon, which was last year at 184. Um, so yeah, those are my two linebackers, Quincy Williams and Zaire Franklin. Yeah, I mean, when someone's putting up historic paces like that, I mean, you got to you got to include them. Yeah, I checked Quincy Williams. He's actually two years older than Quinn and Williams. Okay, but yeah, hmm. same draft class. Oh, interesting. Okay, so what do we have? We just have corners and safeties remaining. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, who Shref has corners, I believe, right? Yeah, I got three of them. Okay, go ahead. Uh, I will start with Rasul Douglas. Um, I got to watch Rasul Douglas as an eagle. He was always like, you know, fine, good enough. It like big guy, but like nothing special. Um, he went to Green Bay, and like he's been a, a solid like number two. Like the last, the last two seasons, seventy four point five PFF, seventy one point one PFF. He was like a solid number two guy with Jair Alexander there. This year, Jair Alexander has missed a few games here and there. Eighty three point seven. That's fourth uh, in the PFF rankings. Um, and like he's just a he's huge, and it seems like he's kind of learned how to use his body the right way. Uh, in the absence of Jair Alexander, he covered Devontae Adams when they played the Raiders. Four targets, zero catches, zero yards for Adams uh, when he was covering him. Um, he's just like it, he's very much stepped into a role of like not just a number two behind Jair, but like could very much be a good number one. So, uh, and especially as someone who watched him as an Eagles player, like just be like a you know fine number three, number four corner, like. Very impressed to see how much of a leap he's made. So that's my first one. Um, second, I'm going to go 
I hate to do it as an Eagles fan, but I'm going to go Deron Bland for my second one. Um, Trayvon Diggs got hurt before the season started. Or not before. Wait, I'm trying to – now I feel like it's been so long. Was it before the season started or after like – No, it was like after week one. That's what I thought. I was trying to remember. Either way, um, you obviously have Stephon Gilmore there, but for a defense that has – you know, aspirations of being like the best defense in the NFL. You need someone to step up. Deron Bland has done that like, and, and more pretty much um, uh, through six weeks, 304 defensive snaps. So he's like, he, he's playing, he's playing out there the whole time. 26 targets, 13 receptions allowed for 130 yards, no touchdowns, three picks, which is uh, most in the NFL at the moment and 30.6 passer rating allowed, which is the lowest in the NFL. Mm. Um, He's been like as good as it gets, and if the Cowboys were playing the way they would normally play, like he might not even really be out there that much right now. So it it goes to show the the depth the Cowboys have at that position right now. Um, so credit to them for that. But he's been unreal. I still I think he's only like twenty four, twenty five. So it seems like they've maybe found another diamond in the rough with him. So he was he was an easy choice for the second one. He's uh yeah he's twenty four and three picks. And did you say he? Two of the he's returned two of them. He has two pick sixes. Oh yes, he does. Yeah, that's a very good point. Yeah, so he's, bonus he's, there. Yeah, the ball. He's, he's like I mean he's he's playing like digs. He's got a nose for the ball. The, the ball yeah. finds. Um, final one. Uh, this one is like he's. I think he's only ranked like twenty. Where is he? Twenty sixth in PFF. So not like the highest ever, but. Considering like the situation he was in before this, it's very been impressive. I'm gonna go Jeff Okuda for my last one, playing for the Falcons currently. Um, Lions, I guess, decided that he wasn't reaching the potential that they thought he had. Decided it was best to move on from him. So obviously, at that point, like a top pick getting shipped off like that, normally not a good sign. Seems like he's revitalized his career a little bit. Um, 107 covered snaps. Nine targets, only three receptions allowed for 51 yards. No touchdowns, 53.5 passer rating. Um, past week against Washington, targeted four times when matched up against McLaurin. Zero receptions against him. So, I mean, this isn't a surprise in terms of talent because I think he was, was he drafted like what, like fourth or fifth overall, something like third that? Overall third overall in 2020. Higher, third. Um so obviously, like the expectations were are like what we're seeing now, but the path to get there, uh, kind of similar to like what I did with Mackay Becton, where the talent was obviously there, but the situation seemed to be getting a little bleak. So he was a, a pleasant surprise for a turnaround. So uh, Duran Bland, Jeff Okuda, Rasul Douglas are my three corners. Nice. Um, what do we just have safeties? Which is me just safeties yes okay uh my two safeties uh first one going with jaguar safety andre cisco Uh, as mitchell said with josh allen the uh the jags defense lead league in turnovers or takeaways same thing um cisco lead he's tied there's a bunch of people tied for interception leader but he's got three which is the most um, stat I found on Twitter, which was his prior last week, but played a great game last week with two picks. Um, Daniel Griffiths of Twitter. Uh, Cisco has allowed a passer rating of 25 in zone coverage in his zone, designated zone, I suppose. 
uh, a completion percentage of 41%, and he's only allowed 80 yards total and no touchdowns. Um, and just watching him with the eye test, I've watched more Jags games than in years past, and he, he's he's looked great, as good as uh, any uh, starting safety and a top safety is uh, is playing. So, And he's not talked about, I feel like, enough nationally. Um, he's always been a solid player for the Jags, but very stepped up a lot this year thus far through six weeks. So, and the defense is playing very well. Um, so he's my first one. My second one probably shouldn't be too much of a surprise given his draft capital is a first round pick last year, but it's Kyle Hamilton. Uh, he's three sacks all came one game, but three sacks, a forced fumble, a pick, a f- uh, two fumble recoveries, I think. Uh, and two defended passes. Um, he's played great. <laughs> Did get ejected yesterday in the London game uh, for a head-to-head hit, but um, has played has played well. Uh, prior to last week, PFF uh, their highest graded safeties were Javon Holland, Jesse Bates, Grant Delpit, and then Kyle Hamilton. So he's right up there with the best of them per PFF. Uh, he's playing great. So. Good for him. I love Kyle Hamilton as a Notre Dame alum. So, uh, yeah, those are my two safeties, Andre Cisco and Kyle Hamilton. All right. Very nice. So our defense, let me see if I can get this off of remembering who we said. Uh, but we have Justin Matabike and Ed Oliver as the defensive tackles. Andrew Van Ginkle, Josh Allen at edge. We have Quincy Williams and... Our other middle line. Zaire Franklin. Zaire Franklin, yes. Uh, our corners, we had Rasul Douglas, uh, Deron Bland. Yep. Yep. And Jeff Okuda. And then we have Andre Sisco and Kyle Hamilton at safety. So that is our all surprise team. Uh, you know, feel free to interact with us. Let us know if you agree, disagree. Anyone we missed, we're open to criticism. A uh, quick question Does this team win the Super Bowl? No. No. Good team. Solid team. Make the playoffs? Uh, uh, give, give them error. Give them the who's our all surprise coach. I was just going to say. They, they can oh, coach this team. Yeah. Maybe like D'Amico? D'Amico's up there. Um, mm. I like. Dan Campbell isn't surprising. Yeah, I didn't know the Lions Lions were going to be like this dominant. Shane Steichen. The Colts aren't great, but he's done a good job. Let's give it to Miko Ryans. All right, does Miko Ryans coach the team to the Super Bowl? Coach the team to the playoffs. I think think it could be be a playoff team, yeah. Yeah, playoffs, I say. A lot of young guys on this team, though. How many rookies do we end up having? Oh, we got some rookies. Yeah, Not a lot. So I think they can make the playoffs, though. Mm. Interesting question. All right. So the time has come for sportsbook donation of the week. Let's recap how we did last week. If I can pull it up here. All I know it was an awful week for me. I went 0-3, pulled a Shreff. Yeah, welcome to the club. So I went 0-3. I picked San Francisco to cover 6.5. They lost outright to the Browns and P.J. Walker. 
I had the Cardinals plus seven. That's the second time I've lost on a Cardinals pick here on the podcast. So may be scared off of them in the future. And I had San Francisco Cleveland over 37 and a half. That got to 36. So not quite there. Jack goes two and one. Detroit minus three. They won by, I think, 14. Uh, Kansas City minus 10 and a half. They barely squeaked that one out, but it still counts. Thursday Night Football, they win by 11 uh, against the Broncos. And Jack, unfortunately, goes back to not being able to pick totals where he did not get the over 43 and a half on the Lions-Bucks game. Shreff, you know, still got to pick right. I think this is Shreff's first total that he got right all year. I'm on the board. I'm tied with Jack on totals now, right? Yes, you were both one and five with totals. I'm somehow I'm somehow four and two, which I feel like I never really know which total to take, but you know. Uh anyway, Shreff jinxed his own team, picked the yep. Eagles minus seven. They lost Couldn't outright, as we discussed. Jinxed them more. Uh Tennessee plus four. They came up a little bit short there in the London game. I think they lose by eight. And then the uh tight it's not Titans, Saints, Texans under 42 and a half. Shreff finally hits on a total there. And for the first time in 23 weeks, I am no longer in the lead. Jack has moved ahead of me at a record 11 and 7 with my 0 and 3 uh, sweep. I dropped to 10 and 8, and Shreff uh, is at 4 and 14. Did you, um, was it last week that you said that you made the statement about your record? Yeah, it was. I just totally announcer jinxed myself. Um, So, not good stuff. I'm going to shut my mouth from here on out. And for the first time in a long while, Jack, you have the first pick in our segment here. All right. Uh, this one, I um, it's the only one I really love. I'm just looking at the board now. Uh, it's the Bills. I feel like I'm taking big spreads a lot, taking the favorites, but Bills, uh, I feel like should be more just given how bad the Patriots are. Uh, Bills minus eight and a half. Uh, that's part of that, I guess, is because they're in Foxborough. This game is so. Um, this could be a little bit of a, a Bills bounce back. They didn't look great playing the Giants on Sunday night. Um, and I, I could just see them boat raising the Patriots. Mac Jones. In the past three weeks, Mac Jones has had seven turnovers and zero touchdowns. That is abysmal. The old line is terrible. Everything's just so bad there. Yeah, it's not good. It's even yeah. good. It feels like a tank. Yeah. So I'm, uh, I like that one. Build minus eight and a half. Definitely. It's definitely a good strategy to uh, to buy. Even though the Bills didn't win, they certainly didn't come close to covering. Um, so it's always a good idea to you know, pick a team the following week that didn't cover or lost in prime time. Because usually that the the perception of them is a little bit off. My right. first pick here is uh, the Chargers plus five and a half. Ooh. Within the past six meetings between the Chiefs and the Chargers, either the Chargers have won or Kansas City has won by an average amount of four point five points per game. Kansas City is four and two straight up, uh, but again, when they when they are winning, it's close. So I don't know what it is, but 
I think the Chargers, even though they lost, uh, kind of just cause went back to what I just said. Betting on a team that lost and didn't cover in prime time the previous week seems like a good strategy. Um, so I'm going to go the Chargers plus five and a half. I think they can get it to a field goal. I'm not going to say they're going to win, but Chiefs have looked a little bit shaky at some points here. The offense hasn't been firing on all cylinders, so I think this game could be uh, pretty close. Shref, back-to-back picks for you. Yeah. Um. Uh, I don't know. That's not the sound you want to hear. It's not the no, sound. I, of confidence. No, 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 I have, I have, I have three that I like. So I'm, I'm trying to just hammer out my two right off the bat. We'll go. I'm, I'm just gonna do it, and it, it's gonna be annoying. So I'm gonna have to wait a while to see how it's gonna go. I'm gonna, I'm gonna start with Niners minus seven. Against the Vikings, I'm, I'm I'm following Jack's method of the big spreads. It's an away game, but it feels like uh, similar to like as I said, similar to the Eagles that you know they kind of got you know punched in the punched in the in the face once. They got hit. Uh, they got hit by a insanely good defense, um, as good as we're seeing in the league right now. Um, and yeah, they struggled, but it feels like a bounce back situation. Um, I know seven's a lot of points, but they're going from one of the best defenses to one of the worst defenses. Um, I think this will be a good get right game for them. And just as a whole, they're better coached and they are just way better as a whole uh, from unit to unit on that team. So Niners minus seven. I know it's a, it's a square pick, but it, it, someone has to make it. So I'm going to make it. I like it. It was one of my, one of my honorable mentions. I just couldn't pull the trigger just because they burned me so bad last week. Yeah, and uh, the only thing, though, does it does it does the Debo and CMC injuries worry you? Bit, like a bit for me. As long as Trent Williams is playing, I, I, I think I'll be okay. Like I, I don't know. We've I, I know the offense with McCaffrey is like on a whole, on a whole other level, but it feels like Shanahan's gotten the most out of every running back he's had. So if it's Jordan Mason or whoever it is back there, I'll I'll feel okay and. Listen, Debo hurts, but Ayuk's I, I, really proven himself as like a legit number one guy. So while not having Debo out there hurts, I, I think the Niners are just a better team. All right. What is your second pick? Um, yeah, I'm going to go with this one. Uh, I'm going to – I went against him last week, and it bit me, and – um, I'm going right back. I'm going right back to the well. I'm betting against the Ravens again. I'm I'm, I'm going to take the Lions plus three. Like it it it, it feels like a letdown. Like in a weird way, it feels like a letdown spot for the Lions. But I I don't know, man. The the defense is really what's selling me on them. Like this is a really consistent defense. I think as of now, they're they're first against a run against the run. They were thirtieth last season. Like just a complete turnaround from like that entire unit. Uh, and it's to the point where like as fun as this offense is, and like as like much of the focal point is that is like their defense has been just so rock solid. Um, I like the Ravens as a team this year, but I, I think I said it last week and why I picked the Titans, but it does feel like they're still trying to figure their offense out. And I think that that is what we saw against the Titans in that London game. Things still weren't clicking exactly how you'd like them to throughout the entire game. I think that'll continue against a really good unit. And the, this Lions team feels like they're kind of on a roll right now. Uh, they got their early loss out of the way, and it seems like they're finding their stride. And Jameson Williams being back also contributes to this. So the Lions getting three points against any team, I'll, I'll, I'll take that right now. 
Yeah, hard to argue that one. Detroit looks really hot right now. My second pick, I'm going to be going with the Eagles minus two. Couldn't do it. As a home favorite since 2021, which is Hertz's full time, excuse me, Hertz's time as a full time starter, and Nick Sirianni as a head coach, the Eagles are 10, 4, and 2, which is 71.4% as a home favorite in covering. That is the second best in that span. Uh, Miami's coming off a humongous win. And obviously the Eagles coming off that first loss, I think people are going to be like, oh, the Dolphins are getting two points. How in the world could they be underdogs? Well, they're coming to Philadelphia, hostile environment, Sunday night game. I think the Eagles are going to win by uh, at least a field goal. So I will gladly take the uh, Eagles minus two there. And if I'm wrong, I trust you picking them more than I trust me picking them. So. No offense, Shref, if I'm wrong, I won't be too mad about it either. So Yeah, it's a win-win for you. I understand. Yeah, I understand. Jack. Um, I'm going with the Packers. They're traveling to Denver. They're one-and-a-half-point favorites, so it's basically a, you got to win. Um, I uh, First reason, auto bet against the Broncos. I... I, I'm always comfortable betting against them. Uh, second reason, uh, under Lafleur since 2019, the Packers are 21 and six in games played after the bye. Oh, um, look at Jack pulling out the stats. Yeah, I, I saw it. I saw the spread. I was like, okay, I picked the Packers. I would pick the Packers to win this. Broncos suck. Then I was like, I bet Lafleur's great after a bye, and he is. And they, I know the Packers were kind of injured, so hopefully the bye helped them in the health from a health standpoint. So, um, yeah, I like that pick. Um, can you read? Can you read that stat one more time? Under Lafleur since 2019, uh, the Packers are 21 and six in games played after the bye. How does that make sense? Twenty-one and six. Oh, 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 oh. oh. <laughs> That's this 27 just, games. This is just like after, like, the, with a the rest games, advantage. No, no, no. Like the games played after their bye week. What? So oh, in 20, God, so they I had a bye week in, in 2022. Games all the way to the yeah, end. Of they the went. Season. They went three and one post bye week last year, and then two years ago post bye week they went four and one. I mean that still helps. Yeah, it does still help. And then, so okay. collectively, all the games he played after his bye week, he's twenty-one and six. I get. So it. I get. Okay. Yeah, it, it's not truly indicative of the game after the bye week, but he's good after the bye week. <laughs> I was gonna say that he's been a coach for four years. How has he had twenty-seven games of sample size? Good point. Good catch. Whatever. I didn't even. I didn't even pick this game for the stat. It was an after the fact type thing. Oh yeah, you didn't even have to bring that up as long as you say. No Broncos, anything against them. That's all you needed to say. So, yeah. All right. You're up again, Jack. I know you don't have much experience picking first, but that's what happens. You get back to uh, that pick here. I'm, I'm going to defer. Oh, wow. wow. It was a quick defer. Nice. No idea what he's doing. He is, he's no, panicking. I, I should start deferring more. <laughs> uh, so, I don't love any of these totals. So, I, I totally understand the deferring it. Because I, I did my little game of what I thought the total will be 
uh, without looking at it and then checking it. And I was pretty dead on for pretty much all of them. Mm, that's a bummer. <laughs> yeah, it was. Um, but I thought this stat was interesting. The unders last week were 13 and two. Do you guys realize that? Oh, yeah, a lot of it were, there were a lot of like weird games that kind of make yeah. sense. I didn't know it was that drastic, but yeah, it makes sense now you say it. I feel like that means there'll be some overs this week. Ooh. So, with that being said, I'm going to be going with the over. A lot of low totals, too, by the way. A lot like upper 30s, low 40s. I'm going with the over in the Washington Giants game Ooh. 39 and a half. Excluding the game against the Bills, uh, the Commanders have averaged 26 points per game. So I know the Giants' defense was really, really good on Sunday night, but you know they can be shaky at times. So I think Washington can put up points, and I think the Giants. I mean, they're only two point underdogs. I think they'll keep it somewhat close. So I mean, I don't feel great about it, but let's let's hope for some points. So over thirty nine and a half. Are you still deferring, Jack? Okay. <laughs> Simple enough. Um, I want to go back to the underwell so bad just because it's been the first thing that's hit for me, but now Mitchell's making a convincing argument for a reversal here with the overs. Hey, I'm usually Mr. Under, so and I I I, yeah. I usually don't even bet totals um unless they're adjusted in a same game parlay. But for the first time in a long time, I straight bet an over, the over in the London game, 42, and it didn't hit. So what do I know? Unders are king. I think I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to stick with my gut, which has been like the worst decision of my life so far this year, but I'm going to stick with my gut here. I'm going to take an under, and it, it's, a low, it's a low number too. I'm going early Thursday night game, under 39.5 in the Jags-Saints game. That was my second pick, by the way. There we go. So um, I like that one. Yeah, it just it, it it feels gross right off the bat. Short week and T Law, uh, like apparently not like fully healthy. So whether or not we get him, it might not be in a hundred percent him, which is never a good start. On top of that, this Saints defense has just like squeezed the life out of opposing quarterbacks every week. It feels like Stroud kind of was able to find something, but even like the stats still weren't like they've they've been very good against quarterbacks so far this year. Um, and the Jags defense. I mean, we talked about Josh Allen. We talked about Cisco. Like they've the they're showing up on a pretty weekly basis here. Um, so that just on top of, you know, it, it's gross Thursday night. It it has all the vibes of an under. Might go over for the sake of our, you know, eyes and watching Thursday night football. I did in a weird way. I would love for it to be a high scoring game, but I just I don't see it happening. So under 39 and a half Jag Saints. Yeah, I like that a lot. If if Lawrence gets ruled out, it could drop it's a couple in, points too. Yeah, so you, know, you could be getting you've been getting a discount. Uh, Jack, have you had enough time? Yep. Okay. What do we have? Uh, I'm going over Jag Saints. My plan the whole time just to <laughs> fade Jeff. Wow. <laughs> I like it. I respect it. So is that why you defer? Is that why yeah. the defer happened so fast? I like that. Correct. Wow. I, was, I, 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 had been, I had been thinking about it. I had been thinking about it. Yeah. I mean, I I'm. I was thinking good, based on based on like I know, statistics, right. it, it's as good of a decision as any of the stats you've mentioned before. <laughs> I was thinking about deferring all of my picks and then just three fades of Shreff. <laughs> I would have so, <laughs> respected it, but I would have been so upset. 
But there were two spreads that I, I did like those two spreads. And I've been good at picking spreads so far, so why would I ruin that? But I've been really bad at total, so I'll just well, I'll go I, with that. That's what I was going to say. I mean, we're, yeah. we're tied in total, so this is like right. a force versus an immovable object. Where, where <laughs> yeah. It happens. But the thing is, like, I don't truly believe it. <laughs> yeah, this is simply a fate. No, I so it's just fade you. I respect it. I completely respect it. Wow. Also, Mitchell, oh. I can confirm Trevor is playing. Yeah, he's gonna. Play, but but do we do we? But think he could be allowed? limited. Yeah. 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 How do you how do you know that? Don't worry about it. Jack's Twitter. Okay. No Jack has his sources down there. Yeah, I do. Wow, all of our totals have thirty nine and a half in them. I know you guys have the same game, but mine right. is also thirty nine and a half. Interesting. Wow, what an end to the show. That was great. Um, that was good. I, I I really do respect that at the end of the day. I, like if, I, <laughs> yeah. if if the roles were reversed, I I would have already considered the same thing. So <laughs> right. I think this is our second head-to-head of the season, if I'm not mistaken. The other one was between you two on a primetime game, might I add. It was the Dolphins. Oh, my God. Remember that one? The Dolphins were only two-point favorites against the Patriots week two. Yeah. To, yeah. Jeez. Wow, when, that's when, crazy to look back That at. was after week. This all It was after all they played the Eagles circle. tough. Yeah. It's all coming full circle with this Eagles argument. <laughs> right. Yeah, and, and, the, and the Dolphins barely squeaked out a win against the Chargers, too. So, yeah. wow, if those two teams played right now, what would the spread of that game be? I, I Chargers-Dolphins? I wouldn't be better. No, no, no. Dolphins-Patriots. Oh, like 35. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Wow. All right, folks, that's our show. Just to recap the picks for this week, Jack has Buffalo minus 8.5, Green Bay minus 1.5, and, and the Jags Saints over 39.5 in, in an unprecedented move of uh, <laughs> and, and the ultimate sign of disrespect. It is. Uh, I, can't, I can't even argue it. I got nothing. <laughs> I have the Chargers plus 5.5, the Eagles minus 2, and the Commanders Giants over 39.5, and, and Shreff has the San Francisco 49ers minus seven, the Lions plus three, and the under in the Thursday night game between Jacksonville and New Orleans. That is our show. Any other spreads that you guys, I know we were kind of, we were running thin on our thoughts on the totals, but any other spreads that caught your eye? Not really, honestly. Earlier this week, Mitchell, you, you, uh, or I, I pretty much guessed the Steelers spread. That was kind of expected, I thought. Yeah, it feels like a tough one. Well, there are six teams on a bye, so there are a lot uh, less games to choose from okay. um, and, and options to go. So, All right, folks, that's our show. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, hope your teams are surviving the bye weeks and injuries for your fantasy teams and hope your team is uh, on the right path. So good luck. We'll catch you next week. See ya.